Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and today along with me is Dr. Cy Gart. We are so excited about this, and um, it's it's uh, a sad issue that we have to address today, but a very important one. And uh, you might think, well, but Braxton, this is like a worldview type show where you talk theology and apologetics and those sorts of things. And that's true. But I think in a time like this, when our nation and the whole world, in fact, is experiencing such suffering and and uh, such a spreading of this virus that we need to use our voices, no matter what channel we might have, to, um, to, to let people know. Uh, what they need to know. And I think I have someone with me today who is going to be excellent for that because Dr. Cy Gart is, um, has a background in the, the related sciences. Um, uh, and not only that, he has an amazing conversion testimony. And unfortunately, I need to have him back on to focus primarily on that. Uh, but I think I'd be remiss if we don't talk a little bit about that today. But first of all, welcome to the show, Dr. Cy Gart. Thank you, and it's uh, great to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here. And so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the um, apathy that might exist among some people about the coronavirus, and if not apathy, um, perhaps not taking it nearly as seriously as they should. How seriously should we take it? What about the sort of um, uh, pious things we might hear Christians say like, hey, God's in control, so why do I need to worry about this? Um, these are these are all issues that need to be discussed. And so I think we have a, a guy here who is going to be able to speak some wisdom to us about that and with some clarity and and from a good uh, spot. But as we begin, let me go ahead and ask you, Dr. Gart, why don't you start out just by sharing with us anything about your background that you want to share, any sites that you want to uh, promote with us where we can perhaps follow you and get more information later. Uh, Dr. Gart did just release a video not too long ago about social distancing. That is fantastic. It's not a long video. You could share it around, but also share with us a little bit about your uh, testimony, how you came to Christ from a position of atheism. Okay. Um, I'll try to keep it short. I, uh, I grew up in an atheist family, a very politically radical and militant atheist family, so that uh, when I was young, and this lasted throughout my childhood, early years, early adulthood, I was I was the kind of atheist who said that uh, not, not only do I not believe in a god, I don't think any god is possible to exist, and religion is purely evil, especially Christianity, you know, it's oppress, oppressor of the workers, etc. So that was where I came from, and uh, and where I stayed for quite a while. I also uh, was very interested in science from an early age, and I did uh, become a scientist, a research scientist in biology, in biochemistry. And while I was studying science, there was some things about my materialistic worldview, which was part of being an atheist, uh, that didn't quite fit with what I was learning in science and and I without going into details and I do I, I did write a book about this which I think the link is is below uh, called the works of his hands the book chronicles my journey and also the things in the sciences that were making me pause and consider and question the idea of materialism as the appropriate worldview for understanding reality so that included things like quantum mechanics, and which I won't go into detail. That would be for another show. Uh, 
but uh, it also included what I was learning in molecular biology. And I began wondering about how the incredible complexity and the information content of, of, uh, of life came about. It didn't, I didn't really see any good answers for that. And at the same time, I, this was, I'm a child of the 60s, so you know, there was a lot of new age and spirituality stuff going around. And uh, I started thinking about maybe there is something to all this spirituality stuff. And I tried looking into, I did a lot of reading. I looked into a lot of things like Buddhism and a few other religions. And I started thinking maybe God is possible. It was a very slow, I would say, evolution of my worldview into really becoming an agnostic. I just decided I didn't know. But I was interested and curious. And, and then eventually I went to a church. I read some of the Gospels and you change. And just to make a very long story short, uh, eventually I had direct experiences with the risen Christ in dreams. And finally, and again, this is detailed in, in my book and also in the Christianity Today article that just came out, I had a, a, a direct encounter with the Holy Spirit that, where I was actually, I like to say, literally dragged <laughs> into a state of belief because there was no denying it. There's nothing I could even think of, of doubting. Uh, so that was, oh, I don't know, roughly 15 years ago. I, I didn't join a church right away. The first thing I thought about was, how is this gonna work with me being a scientist? Do I have to give up, you know, my scientific worldview, which I'd always had? And I was, so I was kind of quiet about it, but it turned out that I didn't have to give up anything. In fact, uh, and this will be the segue into our topic today, um, I remained a scientist. Uh, I uh, was doing research at the time, and I still do research. I don't have a lab anymore, but I do research, you know, in theoretical biology. And uh, my career has included uh, uh, being a professor at two different university schools of public health. So I have some background in public health, not a lot in infectious disease. So there are some things I really don't know. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a, a, the best expert for this uh, topic, but I do have a general idea of how epidemics work. And I was also, after I retired from academia, I spent a number of years at the NIH, at the part of the NIH that reviews grants for being funded. And I was the division director of the uh, division that deals with infectious diseases. And I, I got to know Tony Fauci and uh, work with uh, those people, not, not in science, but in the administrative aspect of funding grants. Uh, so, you know, that's my background. Uh, I've been following this like everyone else. Um, I do have contacts with people in Europe, including in Milan, Italy, uh, in New York. Uh, some of these people are epidemiologists and um, I don't have any specific inside information that isn't available to everyone, but, well, maybe that's not completely true. <laughs> maybe I have a little bit, but um, I, I originally, when this thing first broke, I thought, oh, well, this will be like SARS. Uh, you know, sounds really bad, but turned out not to be. And that's not true. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Now, I'm not, I'm not gonna get into uh, everything right now. I'll just say that I'm not here to 
try to instill panic because panic is, first of all, it's destructive. And second of all, it's not a very Christian response to any crisis. We, we still know that God is in control. We still, no matter what's happening, we still know that Christ is with us. Uh, and we still rely on his love for his creatures and panic kind of denies all that. So I'm not a proponent of panicking at all. However, I also know that, uh, not a surprise, uh, that uh, even as Christians, even as we pray and as we attend streaming services, as I did this morning with my church, uh, which you know is a, is a tremendous benefit, as it always is to go to church or to pray, even as we do that, we know that we need to take the steps that we must in order to protect ourselves and especially protect our fellow humans, our, our fellow man, our neighbors. Well, that's uh, great. Uh, uh, you said to call you Cy, yeah, uh, so I'll just do that. Uh, yeah. so, so Cy, that's, that's incredible. And so let's get into it. So sure. we have one uh, person who asked the question here uh, or makes a statement. Uh, Braxton, your mantle sign is encouraging illegal activity. My mantle sign says gather. So <laughs> that could be that could be a problem. So let's talk a little bit about that. So um, someone asked a really relevant question, and I know we want to get into uh, some specifics and and things like that. But someone asked, uh, I was trying to find, uh, let's see, um, how what is the difference uh, what the, what's the difference between social distancing and individual isolation? Is there even a difference in these recent days? Is that a question you think you can answer? Well, I think uh, I, I'll try. I mean, they're not unconnected. Uh, it is, I mean, what, what people are generally doing are staying home, and that could include being with a family. Um, so that would that would not be individual isolation. It would be familial isolation. I, I will say that I know people who are doing that. I also have family members who for one reason or another are home alone. And what I'm doing there is talking to them frequently every day. I have a good friend in Milan who is alone in the epicenter of this epidemic and I've been in touch with her on an almost, well, I would say every few hours. Uh, and, I, and she's in touch with other people as well. Uh, this is not a good time to be alone. Social distancing is simply <clears throat> staying away from anyone who is not in your immediate family. And so that, it, mean, would, it would also probably be relevant to say there is, a, there is a little bit of a difference, too, between social distancing in the sense of, hey, go out uh, to the park or, or whatever, but just right. stay away from people right. versus, yeah, you're not allowed to leave your house or shouldn't leave your house. Yeah. I, my wife and I walk every day. Uh, I, today we took a walk and we ran into a couple from our church who... I had just seen in the morning uh, online <laughs> and, you know, we, we kept our distance six feet or so. And we said hello, uh, but we didn't shake hands. Uh, we didn't get closer. And that's the way it has to be now. Um, handshaking is out. 
again, uh, when you're living with your family, if somebody in your family gets sick, the chances are, or, or gets the virus, you may not even know it. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but it's very likely you will. It's going to be very hard to distance yourself within a house. So but let that, me ask you yeah. this. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's that kind of spread is not the main problem. The, 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 way to, the way to get this virus under control is to control what's called community spread, not familial spread. Okay. So first off, let me ask you this. Is this, so to this point, when we watch the news and things, we've heard so often that, hey, this is something that um, children don't seem to be very much affected by in general. Um, and then as you get older, there's more risk, but hey, really, you know, spring break and going to the mall and doing all these kind of things. It's just older people that really have to worry. It's just people over the age of 65. If you're not over this over 65 or close to that, it's not as big of a deal. It's not a, you don't have to worry about this the way that some people would. What would you say to that? Well, it turns out that's actually wrong on two, two, two levels. In the first place, this is uh, a much more deadly flu than any other flu we've seen for a long time for everybody, including people under 40. The only age group that seems to be resistant and nobody knows why are kids under 10, which is great. I mean, thank God for that. But uh, teenagers, young adults have a 0.2% death rate, which is quite high. But there's another aspect which is not well known, and it's one of the reasons I would like to, you know, say things here is this disease is not is is a very serious illness, and it affects the lungs, and it in some cases without even without killing people, it causes permanent lung scarring, and that can lead to a, a situation called fibrosis, which doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. That's so if you're 22 and you're out partying and you don't care and then you catch it from your friend and you get sick and you really feel sick for a week or so and you're coughing your lungs out literally, but you don't die, uh, you may be ill. You may have lung problems for the rest of your life. Wow. Now that that has not been highly publicized, but we are now knowing that that is true. So my wow. suggestion to anybody over the age of 10 is pretend you're, you know, my age, I'm 72. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm at higher risk of death than you are, but you're at pretty high risk and it's not worth it. Well, that's not good news. I, I, I didn't no, want to hear that, but I'm glad I'm glad you're speaking straight to us. I saw in a Facebook post where you said something like, hey, I've got I've got uh, young adults who are who are kids of mine and I. I want, I'd rather speak straight and, and have them know the truth, even if it sounds a little harsh. Right. So um, now what about, so, but let's talk for a minute about, you know, in the, in church life, particularly the more theologically and often politically conservative, you know, kind of like I'm a cowboy type, uh, type church folks. Some of those churches are not canceling services. I'm glad to see that that many of them are, because I think Mike Winger said this really, really well the other day. I know there's been a little bit of debate, but um, we're not being urged to cancel our church services because of Christianity. It's not like the government is saying, hey, we're against Christianity, so you need to stop going to church. It's not a persecution like that. What's going on is 
hey, for for you know, for the good of the community, for the good of your parishioners, it's best that you don't do this. And I liked the way Mike Winger said it. He said we could actually, your church could actually end up bringing shame to the name of Christ for continuing to have services in and then cause a proliferation of this virus in your community. I, I thought that was really good, but but good, the good news is that's that's. I think a lot of churches are listening on that. The thing that concerns me is among those types of people, um, they they you'll often hear things like, "Hey, listen, God's in control." Um, you know, uh, you know, when it's my time to go, I'm going to go. You know, these kind of things, and uh, those kind of people are sometimes like still going out to indie coffee shops when they're open or what, you know, gathering places, events. Uh, I'm just going to live my life. Talk straight to those kind of people. Even if we're talking about in some cases, some older people. Yeah. Well, you know, what did, what did Paul say? The entire law is love, you know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't want to bring harm to your neighbor. And the problem with going out and gathering in churches and gathering in coffee shops is you are harming your neighbor. You may feel that God is in control of your life, but that doesn't give you the right to bring risk to your neighbor who may be older or maybe younger. Uh, and so I think that <laughs> theologically, this idea of avoiding uh, contact of social distancing is perfectly in line with Christian Christianity. And if I may, Braxton, I would like to tell you a little bit about how I feel about this idea of what we're now doing in churches. Uh, my pastor started a afternoon, noontime prayer meeting. She gets online. A number of people, including myself, log in and she prays with us. Today, we had our first online service. And I have to tell you that I was incredibly moved emotionally when I was looking at the screen of the Zoom, you know, uh, system, and the, the faces and the names of my friends from church started popping up. It was it was just a wonderful feeling. We're here together. Oh, yeah, we're here, and it was a beautiful service. Uh, you know, we made some jokes. <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, we we there were kids there. There are always kids at the church, but of course now there were a lot of kids because they're all home, and <laughs> you know, uh, nobody's wow. taking them out of the room because they can just mute them if they're making a lot of noise. <laughs> hey, and that's kid, yeah, and, and the kids were talking to each other when the mutes were off and everybody was waving and it was beautiful. It was church. Yeah. You, church you know, is not I'll the building. The church is us. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, we are fortunate that even though this technology and the Internet in general is often used for so much evil, it can be redeemed for Absolutely. the good of the church. And uh, we, 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 are a, we are an online Bible college and seminary at Trinity College right. and Seminary. Right. And for, for, for a long time, for 
years, we've done live streaming webinars with, you know, we might have 50 students in there at one time and next to their names, you would see the flag of their country. And I've often mm -hmm. thought rather than Socrates sitting in some alleyway with a few uh, followers, we can now in inhabit this virtual space from all around the world. It is an amazing thing. Now, I have a question here that I think is a pretty good one. Um, and it's, can Sai explain how this, although similar to the flu, is not the same thing as influenza, that, it, that this has become more dangerous because it comes on the heel of heels of flu season. What, what do you have to say to that? Okay, so it, we, it is called a flu, but it's a different type of virus than the virus that causes influenza. And the problem, and the reason that's a problem is we, most of us have antibodies to most of the influenza uh, viruses. So um, also there are vaccines for those flus. They're still deadly in many parts of the world, but this virus, this coronavirus, we know of three diseases from it. One is uh, uh, SARS, uh, one is MERS, and one is this one, this COVID-19. Among those three, the SARS was uh, fairly easily controlled. It did get out of hand a little bit in China, but it has different properties than this one. It, it is not infectious until people have symptoms. So if when they were, it was easy to quarantine sick people and prevent further exposure. This virus is very bad. It, it not only can be transmitted when nobody has symptoms, so you don't know that someone's sick, but the latent period is around five days. So, and, and this is all shown in my video, if, if you, and many others, there are quite a few videos out now. And by uh, the yeah. way, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but no, we good. will link we will link that video. I will link it later in the description okay. of this. So come back in an hour if you're here now and you'll find it. Also, I'll give a direct link to your book. I'm sorry, continue. No, that, that's all right. Actually, I think you do have the link to my channel, uh, which is mostly about Christian faith and science. But there is this one video because I felt it was really important to get something out there. Uh, and And... The, the five day latent period is very bad because it means if person A is infected on day one, we don't know how infectious they are, but they start getting more and more infectious before they're showing symptoms. So the, it looks as if the average number of infected people that everyone infects is about two and a half, 2.6 or something. That means that we get a doubling of the number of people infected long before any cases show up. Hmm. So wow. that's why this has been such a tragedy. We are not looking at what's happening now. People keep making that mistake. It doesn't matter how many cases there are now. What counts is how many people were infected five days ago. <clears throat> and we don't know. Yeah. We can't tell that. So when you see the first case, it's very late. So that would kind of be the answer to this question. What about the common flu killing over 55,000 people in the U.S. alone? How do we make sense of the lack of fear about that? I'm sure you would say there should be some more awareness about the common flu. But the difference here is how long it takes before those symptoms become apparent and our lack of familiarity already with 
this in terms of medications we can provide and vaccines, right? Yeah, well, the, the vaccine is the big one. Mo not every, but most seasonal flus respond to vaccines or, or are stopped by vaccines. We have no vaccine on this one, and we have no antiviral drugs on this one. Now, 55,000 is a very large number of people in the U.S. If we did nothing, that number would look trivial compared to what this would kill. Wow. Okay. The original estimates, and this may not have been widely broadcast, for the number of deaths in the U.S. with no mitigation was well over, well, anywhere from 2 million to very large numbers, which I don't even feel comfortable saying, but yeah. uh, it, it's it's a very dangerous disease. And, and the real problem is we, there's still so much we don't know about it. We don't know how many people are infected because we don't have enough testing. Uh, the only places where we have some idea is in China, but even there, we don't really know the, the infection rate. So, uh, you know, the, the mortality rate is not known either. There's, there's, there's just so much we don't know about it, and that makes it more dangerous. But I think, would you agree that if someone, if someone really wants to have a reality check about how serious this thing is, and maybe still not get the whole picture, um, look at what's happening in Italy, look at what's happening in other parts of the world where they've been dealing with it for longer than we have. I have someone here who says, I am in Europe three weeks ago. I was joking. Now yeah. we have voluntary lockdown that will be mandatory pretty soon. This person thinks so. So, you know, we, we can speak as though, well, it's, it's kind of like when the World Trade Center happened, you know, 9-11 happened. There was this among many people, this feeling that, well, that's way off somewhere else. Um, that's, you know, that's not really me. Now, fortunately, most of us felt, a, uh, you know, it resonated because it was on American soil for those of us who are Americans and those that are not Americans, they sympathize with us. And a lot of us had a heart about that kind of thing, but there is this viewer mentality that that's happening off somewhere else. But we've been watching this thing encroach more and more on our local communities. I'm in a uh, community that is pretty far. I mean, it's two and a half hours to, to the major cities around me. And it's taken a while to get here, but it's here now. And yeah. uh, that's that's a, a bit of a, a scary thought. And and I, you know, as I hear more people, uh, particularly um, older people, and by older, I just mean older than me, but older people saying flippant things about it, it really concerns me. So let me ask you this question, uh, because someone asked, someone made a good point here, uh, the biggest threat from the virus is that it could shut down society with so many being sick at the same time. Now, I don't know uh, how to how to place a value on on human life versus society and how society will impact human life. But we can say this much. That is a concern. So as Americans in the whole world right now are trying to balance uh, the threat of the virus, medically speaking, versus uh, our economy moving forward and our livelihoods being sustained. Um, we've seen how many uh, businesses are trying to handle this. You've got uh, fast food restaurants serving at the curb. You've got things like that going on. I know that early on, about a week ago, I was in a CVS and they had uh, markers on the ground. You had to be six feet standing on one of those markers. But um, what about businesses? So I, I kind of am responsible for em the employees of Trinity College and Seminary. And uh, the minimum that we have right now on campus uh, is we, we, ha we, we feel like we have to have at least 10 people to continue, seven to 10 people to continue functioning on the tech side of things and the day-to-day -day activities mm -hmm. and admissions. 
it, it may be that we have to move to, to home and we have the technology to do that. Uh, but people like me who are running those businesses are fearful that if we do that, there's going to be less productivity at home, frankly. Right. So what? talk to me about that. How serious is that? And talk straight to me. Okay. Well, that's, that's a lot. Uh, first of all, let me just say I happened to be in New York on 9-11. I'm a New Yorker and I was there and I, I saw everything. So It wasn't off somewhere. To it wasn't off was somewhere else for me. And, and this disease is not off somewhere else for me either. Uh, I live in suburban Maryland. We don't have a huge caseload. It's pretty big, but it's not like New York. But I do have, as I said before, friends, contacts uh, all around the world, and uh, I'm hearing stories. Um, let me answer your question. There's no question that this is going to be incredibly disruptive. I'm not an economist, and I don't know, I, but you know, anybody can tell that this is going to be very bad for society. But what's the alternative? Uh, we have it. It's here. It's going to stay here. If we don't take drastic measures of the kind that will affect businesses, we would have a disaster. I mean, a disaster that has not been seen, I don't know, since when. Uh, because there's nothing going to stop this virus except ourselves. We're the only ones who can stop it. It spreads incredibly easily. The virus is stable for hours, possibly days on some surfaces. It's easily transmitted from person to person. This is not something that's going to go away. We have to take serious and very difficult actions to do so. Let me say a word about Europe. The worst case scenario was almost going to happen in London and in England, and it may still happen. And the problem was that I don't know, I still don't know how this happened, but the English government decided at some point about a week ago that the best strategy would be to simply allow, to, to isolate old people who were at risk, theoretically, the most risk, but let everyone else get the disease and they, their idea was that once they got it, it would it, the peak would go very fast and it would be over and then there would be herd immunity and it would be done. I mean, I have several friends, epidemiologists in London, and I was in contact with them and, and we were all, everybody in the biomedical community was completely shocked to hear this. First of all, that's not what herd immunity is. Herd immunity happens when you, with a new disease, when you vaccinate at least well, some large percentage of the population, it depends. But if you can vaccinate 60 to 70 to 80% of the population, you have herd immunity. It doesn't happen when there's a new disease, then nobody has any immunity. And the only way you get that kind of herd immunity is after everyone has gotten it. And we don't want that, because then we're talking about millions of deaths. Wow. So that was shocking. And, and it was also tragic because in the several days it took for the, the British administration to understand how wrong they were, and I don't know why it took them that long, uh, we had the kind of spread that everyone has been saying we have to avoid. And now they've begun to take the correct measures far too little and mostly far too late. So the rise in cases in England has surpassed that of Italy already. 
Hmm. By a week from now, we're going to see England as, I'm sorry to say this for people who have friends and relatives in the UK, we will see the UK as a true disaster zone. And, and that's a horrible lesson, uh, but it should be a lesson to all of us. Yeah, you know, that, that is shocking. And I think one of the most valuable things I've taken away from this so far is that your your explanation there was per, was great of the herd uh, herd uh, immunity. I had no idea that that's how that works. That's very interesting. So that 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 is not gonna that's not gonna win because we have to have a good percentage that already are immune. That's right. That's what that's how it works. And you so know how? Yeah, go I'm ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm just gonna say one last thing is that. In everywhere in the world, except China and South Korea, which are starting to recover, China more, if, if we believe the data, uh, and South Korea eventually, but everywhere else in the world, the doubling time for this virus is the same. It's three days. So every three days, the number of cases doubles. Uh, that's an easy mathematical equation. You can do it on, you can do it with pen and paper. If you're starting with, you know, 10 cases, how long will it take before you have 100,000? Not that long. And then it just doubles every three days. So that that's the, a lot of people are not familiar with exponential kind of mathematics. And I'll just, I'll just give one illustration, which is from an old, maybe everyone's heard this. Please. If, you, if you give me a penny on the first day of the month, one cent, and you double it every day. So the second day you give me two cents, the third day you give me four, how much money will I have at the end of the month? And the answer is several billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. That's how exponential growth works. It's, it's not intuitive to us. We don't think of it naturally. So if there are 10 cases today in, in your fairly rural, uh, not very highly connected part of the world, maybe there's, you know, uh, a spread out population, only a few villages or small towns. But if there are 10 cases today, there will be 20 cases in three days and 40 in six days and so on. So, so let's talk a minute about something that's kind of a little bit scary. And I know you don't want to incite panic, but, uh, and, and this is a difficult balancing act too, as people, as meager as my voice is on the internet for people like me and you, uh, We've got people in the audience who are very concerned, maybe are hypochondriacs, you know, and then we've got other people on the other end of the spectrum who aren't worried about this at all. So it's how do you how do you handle the, the panic thing? So let me ask you this, though. I'm going to just ask a direct question as someone who um, is somewhat familiar with the science behind this, as you said, far more than probably most of the people listening and who knows some of the people working on this and who um, is, is, has been an interested observer, um, how bad can this get? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, um, that, let me depends, ask it this way. Yeah. How bad do you think it can get? And, and what do you expect could right. be the case? Okay, it could get very, very bad with, you know, as I said, millions, even up to hundreds of millions of deaths, and not all of them over 60. Let's put that one to bed. <laughs> there are there have already been, you know, hundreds of 25-year-olds who have died. So, and that is only going to increase. I do not believe it will get anything like that. 
and this is also shown in my video, even a slight amount of mitigation, a slight amount of social distancing has a major effect. Because if you cut down the average infectivity from 2.6 to two, already that has a tremendous effect on the number of cases. If you cut it down to 1.5, it's, it's much, much better. So uh, I'm, I'm expecting that that will happen, because, but, but it's happening slowly, not quickly enough. And what people need to know is the time to do this is now. Now, what about panicking? As I said at the beginning, panicking is dangerous too. You know, panicking leads to panic buying and hoarding and things that are not good for everyone else. So, you know, that, this is where our faith comes in. I, I believe that we do have to rely on the love and care and protection of Jesus Christ as we always do. And we also have to rely on the love and care and protection of our fellow human beings because it's going to be up to them what you know look at me i'm 72 i have underlying condition <laughs> you know uh it's going to be up to all of you whether i make it or not and that's true for your parents for your grandparents uh and for many of you watching so well, you know to speak to the theological side of that you know i i that's one area where I can speak, where all this yes. statistics and science and stuff I can. You know, the, the thing about it is the way the church is, you know, the New Testament refers to us as the body of Christ. Right. And so when people ask things and we did just do a live stream two days ago on where is God in the midst of this? We talked about the problem of evil, the problem of suffering and all that. Those interesting ideas and important issues and challenges mm -hmm. that have been brought to the Christian faith. But at the same time, what and I understand, I, hey. I'm not offering this as an evidence for the truth of Christianity, but I understand how this could sound convenient to skeptics watching. But since the uh, since the founding of the church, the idea has been that while God may step in and do things supernaturally and miraculously and all those sorts of things, the body of Christ uh, works in the world. And that is God That's working true. in the world through his people. So I don't think there's anything. Amen. Uh, it's kind of like when you said you found that that science and faith could work together there was there was no conflict there and I, I think we see that with this sort of thing there's no conflict with you know someone was saying the other day well you know you Christians are going to pray to God about this and then when science delivers a cure then you're going to you're going to you're going to praise God like it was him instead of the scientists well, but no. why can't God use the scientists exactly right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah i have that argument all the time on twitter uh, people say well you know you're going to say God did it. And I, and I say, yes, God did everything, <laughs> he right, created everything right. including science, including scientists. So yeah, it, yeah. Will, God, it will be God. And, uh, and we can rely on that, but we, no, I just want to say, I, I, I love what you said about the body of the church is, is, yeah. is where we are. I'm trying to get my interviewing skills down and I'm still not there, Cy. So stick with me. But oh, um, <laughs> so this no person problem. says, what's the idea of a second wave of infection? Can a person who was once infected be reinfected? We don't. Well, I don't know. Maybe somebody knows, but I haven't seen that. And generally for viruses in general, that's very rare. It's not impossible, but often the, the second infection will be much more mild than the first because you've got antibodies. 
But again, uh, that's one of the things about this virus that we don't really know enough about. There has been, well, I, 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 this is actually too speculative. I, I don't even know. The, the, let me let me leave it at that. It's 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 not clear now. Of course, this could eventually go away. Let's say in somewhere in June or July, and 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 be over, and it could come back uh, in next year as as a seasonal type thing. But by then, uh, there will be some uh, some degree of herd immunity, depending on how many people get it. And we may even be able to get a vaccine at some point uh, in the next year, although that's somewhat optimistic, but uh, it's possible. The other, I should also say some possible good news because <laughs> it's been pretty gloomy up till now and I don't like to do that. Uh, there are some hopeful signs, uh, which are mostly have to do with the development of antiviral drugs. There are a couple probably people have heard about them already that are in testing, they're in clinical trials. I do know from personal ex uh, experience and, and from speaking to people that there are academics and laboratories in, in uh, pharmaceutical companies and small outfits, et cetera, that are literally working 24 hours a day to develop and test these drugs uh, and you know, there's no way to predict when and if these will be available, but that is something to hope for. A strong. So let me put. Let, let me let me try to put this in my very layman way of understanding the the medi medical side of this and the science side of this. And we have we have medical professionals in the chat right now too. So, but but the under and I guess this is just true when it comes to any virus, uh, any kind of virus. But so the idea is that. It's not that we have to stay in our homes forever, but once uh, the people who get this virus um, are no longer symptomatic, at that point, the idea is that they would not be contagious. Is that is that the idea? Some period after? Some period after, but again, that's something else we don't know about this. We don't know exactly what that period is. I think there's some data from China, and maybe some of the people in the chat know, know more about it than I do, but... Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's been determined. I haven't seen that that's been determined, but yeah, at some point they're no longer contagious. And the re the way these, these pandemics stop is that, um, the, the number of new cases begins to decrease. The number of infections begins to decrease. And that's either because everybody's already gotten it, which is not what we want or because of the social distancing. And so many people are just not gonna get it because they were not exposed. And at that point, it's over for now. <laughs> uh, you know, it could come back again. Uh, that's also unknown. Yeah, okay. So um, to what degree has politics caused a problem in all of this? I mean, it seems like everything gets politicized. And for people like me who don't know the science, um, who has to, you know, has to ask, like my wife has to inform me about what I'm supposed to take when I get a headache. So I, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. And it seems like th these things get politicized. And so when I hear about this or when people, you know, other citizens hear about this, they're hearing from it about it either from a politician or from a news outlet, all of which may have bias, probably have bias. Is that, I mean, how do I know I'm getting the truth from, from uh, these places? Well, 
you know, everybody says, and I believe, I, I agree, that the best place to get the truth is the NIH or CDC websites. Now, some people will not trust them because they're government run. I will only say this about politics. I really hate talking about politics and I, I almost never do it. But I will say one thing about it because it's important. There is one political viewpoint that should be outright rejected and which I find very dangerous and I would like to see banished. And that is the conspiracy theory type of idea. Uh, no, this is not a conspiracy and no, uh, there's no conspiracy to use this in any way that I can imagine exists. Some people say the media is, is, is conspiring or the administration is conspiring. I don't think any of that is true and I think it's very dangerous. In fact, I've even, I'm even considering pleading with some of the debate shows like Modern Day Debate and uh, the Steve McRae show, some of the other shows that have featured uh, flat earthers to stop doing that because the basis of flat earthism is conspiracy theory. And conspiracy theory to me is a highly dangerous political uh, movement. It's false and it's destructive. So uh, other than that, I, I don't know what to say. Of course, politics is everywhere and people will use everything they can for political purposes, but I, you know, that's life. And I, I don't know what to say about that. Well, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. Um... I'm going to ask you if you, because there's, you know, it's kind of like whenever I'm in a, an interview like this, or even in, in real life, when I like in, in uh, IRL, you know, in real life, in, in right. meat space, when I'm talking with someone and I know that I'm not qualified to ask certain questions, I like to ask this question. I'm going to ask you in a moment, uh, what should I be asking you that I'm not asking you? What do you want to say that I haven't given you an opportunity to say? And maybe there's not anything. But as you're as you're doing that, I want to tell the chat we're we're going to uh, start to wrap things up in a bit. But if you have questions, maybe now is the time to go ahead and ask those questions. Make sure you get those questions in. This is a real honor to have someone uh, like Sai here with us. And so uh, you want to get get what you can out of that. And so, uh, but but you can think of those questions while he is uh, maybe answering that. So what what do you think? Uh, Sai, would be the things that I should be asking you that I'm not right now? Well, I, there's one thing I would like to say that I'm not, not sure I said it well enough, and perhaps the question you could ask is, uh, do you think social distancing will actually work? And the answer is yes, it will. Uh, now, then the next question is, well, how do people eat? How do they get food? How do they get necessities? And the answer to that is, uh, there has to be some smart ideas going around. In my area, which is, again is in Maryland, uh, there are now uh, several of the stores have drive-up uh, dispensaries and parking lots, so you can drive up and, and get essential items without going into the store. Uh, people will hand them to you. Uh, we need creative solutions to these questions. Uh, all the supermarkets in my area have special hours for people over 60. No one else is allowed in the store uh, during those hours except older people and people at risk. And and that's helpful, okay? So people can, can go to the store and, and, and get what they need without worrying about contacting some teenagers who may have been out all night, you know, that kind of thing. 
and and so these these are solutions. I mean, we're a smart people. You know, we know how to deal with crises. I was in New York for three weeks after 9-11, and I could tell you wonderful stories about how people responded. Uh, we're great. We, we have God's image. We're made in God's image, and we know what to do when we put our minds to it, and we can get through this together. With God's help and our own, each other's help, we can get through this, and there are answers to all of these problems that right now seem scary and impossible, but I'm I'm very I'm an optimistic person actually by nature. Might not know it from this, but uh, I feel that when this is over in a few months, we'll look at back at this and think. Hopefully, we'll think. Well, you know, we really we did okay with that, and God be praised. Well, I really appreciate that. And actually, um, I would love to end it on that note because that was so beautifully wrapped up. Uh, but I do have a question sure. and I want to ask you a question that you prompted for me. Mm -hmm. So my wife, um, my wife is sometimes a shipped shopper. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where people can use an app and she'll go get their groceries for them. She's not doing that now. Um, uh, but she did um, order groceries brought by uh, someone that works for Sam's or whatever. And they brought them over and you talked about the special hours that they're making for elderly folks to go and, and things like that. And I think there are things, apps that you that, that will tell you when you're when like they're they're updating like real time, like when Walmart has the lowest crowd or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, is are we are we safe to do you know, like I'm I told my wife, I said, we're going to get some Clorox wipes and we're going to wipe down all these groceries you know, when we get them in, but are we safe to do even that sort of thing? And if not, what, what are we supposed to do? Well, I mean, you know, that, that's a good question. And what we know is that the virus stays on surfaces for some, to some extent, the worst surfaces are stainless steel and hard surfaces like that. Less probably has a, 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 a smaller lifespan on things like paper and, and, you know, uh, cardboard, but, we don't know that. So I think that, you know, wiping down uh, surfaces is not a bad idea. We've gotten a couple of packages from Amazon in the last couple of days, and my wife just leaves them to sit still and <laughs> before we touch them. <laughs> There's nothing urgent yeah. in them. Uh, so that's that works, you know, or wiping them down is, is good. I mean, the idea is whenever you can possibly think of it, you know, wash your hands as often as possible. Uh, and when, certainly whenever you go out and, and whenever you touch anything, uh, and, uh, take all the common sense precautions you can take and remember that every time you're, you're helping yourself to remain free of infection, you're also helping everyone around you. And that is so important, I think, to note, because for people who are younger, who think, although we found out now that, that they're not as safe as they think they are, um, but you're still a danger to others. Uh, someone put here, if you starve or don't eat properly, you could end up needing healthcare, which is something we're trying to avoid. Absolutely. But now that that is, you know, so the, the groceries and stuff, we, we kind of have to do that. Uh, but like, you know, I have a friend who works at our school who, who got Cracker Barrel the other night and they got it at the curb and brought it home. And he said, 
you know, all I knew to do was I did put everything in the microwave for about 30 seconds to try and uh, help out with that. But should we stop doing that? I know you don't want to say anything that will hurt a local business, but should we stop doing that sort of thing? I, I, to tell you the truth, Braxton, I really don't know. I mean, there are probably people who know more about that than I do. I, I, I don't know enough. I don't know if anyone does about, you know, what really is necessary. I think just, you know, be as careful as you can and pay attention to to what uh, is coming out from CDC and NIH, because some of these questions will have answers eventually. Uh, so, you know, do the best you can. Uh, I, I, microwaving is obviously fine, it's good. Uh, and, and I assume that would work. But if you're thinking about this, then you're already on the, on the right side, okay? Uh, if you're not on the right side when, and I, I hate to say this, but I did say I wanted to bring it up because I think it's important. There is a senior member of the Catholic Church, uh, an American cardinal, Cardinal Burke, who today announced that all Catholics should go to mass. And I, and I think that's just not the right thing to do. Uh, I, I don't wanna say anything negative about the Catholic Church. He does not represent the Catholic Church, uh, but that is a very disturbing uh, thing to have heard. And, uh, and I'm hoping that he is completely ignored and perhaps uh, no longer in a leadership position because that was incredibly irresponsible. Uh, so so you're either on the right Cardinal side Burke. Yeah, ignore Cardinal Burke. And so, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're on the right side, which means you're thinking about it and you're being careful, that's great. If you're not thinking about it or you're coming up with some conspiracy theory or some crazy idea that this is not real, it's not important, uh, you're on the wrong side. So, you know, try to switch over to the other side. Let's end, Cy, on a worldview question. What do you think? You and I are both guys interested in worldview. Yes. So um, let's see. William Slover says, how can you reconcile brilliant individuals such as Cy being devout Christians, but other brilliant scientists being staunch atheists? I've always been curious <laughs> about this dichotomy. Well, first I have to recover from being called brilliant because that is not a good description <laughs> of me at all. <laughs> Uh, we don't we don't allow anybody that's not brilliant on Trinity. Oh, that's okay. Well, in that case, yes, <laughs> then it's fine. Um, okay, so why <laughs> why are scientists uh, both Christians and not Christians? In fact, uh, I think the answer is that in in this particular culture, but it used to be true that all scientists were Christians, as were most people in general. But scientists in the old days, I'm talking about. 200 years and going all the way back, uh, were doing science because they were interested in discovering how uh, God's creation works. And they always knew that they were looking into uh, what was ultimately a, a miraculous creation by God. Now, things have gotten different in the last 100 years or so, and we're now a lot of atheists, and there's been a lot of uh, discussion about the war between science and faith so that, you know, you can't be both a Christian and, an, and a scientist. And that's that's the key issue that I am devoting my life to fighting, that that, that, that idea is not true. Uh, and uh, yeah, there are plenty of smart scientists who are Muslims or Jews or atheists or agnostics or Hindus. And uh, that's the world we live in. And I can't explain that. <laughs> They need to find Jesus. That's yes. the answer. Yes, indeed. <laughs>
Well, I've really enjoyed having you on, Cy. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, one of the most important things I got out of this is, if you can, stay home. Right. And if, if if we're talking about going to coffee shops, you know who you are I'm speaking to out there. If we're thinking about going to coffee shops, stop it. You don't right. have to do that. You don't. Um, believe it or not, they have these things uh, where you can make coffee in your kitchen. Believe it or not. Curry no. coffee makers, coffee <laughs> pots. It's amazing. And you can order it on Amazon and wipe the box down when you get it. So, uh, so listen, we've really enjoyed this. And um, I'm, uh, I really admire you. And you're in a position because of your background to say things with a level of scientific credibility that many of us don't have. And so I really, really do. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad you're out there. You're um, we're in the same army, but you're over there on the other side using a different sort of a approach and methodology. And, and we're going to pray that you see success and that people see the importance of uh, what you're doing and, and, and all that. So, um, again, any last words before we go? No, I think I think I've made my points and I just want to say thank you for having me on. It's, you know, I've, as I said before, I've admired you for a lot, long time and uh, this has really been a real honor for me to come on this show. Well, the feeling is mutual and we will have you back. To, if you're willing to come back, we'll have you back to. Uh, to talk about maybe some sciencey stuff that I don't understand. Every live stream, I get science related questions. Right. Uh, so I need to have you on and we'll, we'll have all the questions anyone wants to ask about that. But um, uh, thank you so much again. And uh, we'll, we'll be in contact. And listen, if you have questions for Cy after this is over, I mean, don't blow up his inbox or anything, but you can, you can access him on his YouTube channel on Twitter for sure. Um, uh, you know, Twitter find him in those places. Yeah. Share his articles, share his book, share his YouTube channel, uh, a reliable voice. And Hey, even if you're an atheist out there or something, if you have Christian parents or Christian grandparents and, and you think they might listen to someone who was just recently in a full spread in Christianity Today magazine, you know, they might be more open to listening to someone like that. And so we want good information. And if that's what it takes to get it there. But um, folks, we've enjoyed this show and I'll see all of you next time on Trinity Radio. <laughs>